0: Hello, I'm Henry Raby, I'm a poet and I'm sat in my bedroom. I've spent a lot of time in this room over the past year, flanked by two giant stuffed bookcases, a pile of gifted stationery, an often unmade bed and a window out to a rainy, breezy, wintery york. These are the Say Out But Stay In tapes, conversations with poets recorded in January 2021 during the global coronavirus pandemic. How often do you notice the space and the world around you? So I genuinely didn't know there was a duck pond just round the corner from me. That was until I was forced to find new routes to walk in lockdown number one. Now I've seen goslings grow up to be geese. It's been pretty emotional. I try and find a new direction and walk every time. And I wouldn't say I've discovered a huge amount of new parts of York, but at least I found some new parts. In this podcast, you'll hear from Layla Josephine.
1: And my desk has probably the same amount of glasses and cups as a bar right now. <laughs> um, and I have a flamingo in the background called Felix.
0: And the repeat beat poet.
2: Four walls, a wardrobe, some Ikea furniture. We have got a love a, um, a Calyx, the Ikea Calyx, you know, record cabinet.
0: Layla is a spoken word artist, screenwriter, and educator. The Repeat Beat poet is a hip hop poet, broadcaster, and event host. Layla starts off by telling me about the area of Prestwich where she lives.
1: I moved here about three years ago, and my idea was that I wanted some like quiet place to write, and Glasgow was kind of Glasgow's my home but it does become a kind of um, drinking sinkhole there's always someone to drink and go out with and stuff so it was quite nice to like move away and when I when I was going to Glasgow it was always like a decision and if I was doing a gig I'd have to drive afterwards so it kind of gave my life a little bit more of a structure but I suppose I never expected lockdown to happen so the last year it's been extra quiet and I don't really know anyone in the area so it's definitely quite quite isolating but it is really nice to be by the sea and I find that I get some some sort of energy from that but it's not like it's not twee it's not like super pretty like I live as you said like by an industrial kind of wasteland as well so I've got this I really like places that sit on the margins that might not be like you know a tourist destination Mm -hmm. but still trying to find the beauty in these like really kind of forgotten places and I think that here is like a really rich soil for for untold stories as well and I've become fascinated with the plane watchers that watch the planes and come with their big cameras and stuff so that's that's kind of where I'm at but yeah it's been very strange and the the beach it's great that the beach is there but I probably don't go as much as I probably should I'm, I definitely have to be careful that I don't Sometimes I'm like, oh, I haven't been outside in three days. I need to sort that.
0: (laughs) The Scotsman is a Scottish website that hosts sessions with musicians and poets. Leila recorded The Good Stuff on a nearby beach. You can watch the full version by heading over to The Scotsman's website and looking up session number 133. I really love The Good Stuff poem because it's stuff that can more or less still be done and you can still find joy in during a lockdown context. It also really makes me miss the beach and the seaside and the grey, freezy, windy skies. I asked Leila about the poem and recording it for the Scotsman.
1: So I wrote the good stuff which is just like a list of like things that I love and Pixar stole my idea and made a film called Soul (laughs) and it's very much the same concept but I yeah like not much has changed about it but you're right the context has changed so much and actually a lot of the things in the poem are still things that you can enjoy which is quite interesting um, because obviously I never knew what what kind of world it was coming into but yeah there's lots of joy in it and I love writing it and actually it's something that everyone can do so you can kind of like teach it to people you're like okay write a list of things that you really love in the world and it's one of those things that it doesn't feel like there's much craft in it it was just like this kind of magical moment where I was like right I'm just going to write as much as I can you know how some of those poems just like fall out of you.
0: I asked Layla about how she's been structuring her day creatively how she's been adapting for workshop practices on Zoom.
1: I should probably disclose, like, I'm terrible at structure. So, everything that I'm about to say is like not something that I'm particularly good at, but I do try and do it. It's like an onward kind of journey. Um, and I think that that's something that's been really good for lockdown, actually, is is that it's forced me to think about, like, what do I want to spend my days doing? Mm. And, you know, when I'm going all over the place, like in Scotland, like, I work in Edinburgh, I work in Dundee, I work wherever the work takes me and I spend a lot of time driving I spend a lot of time like grabbing a Greg's eating crap like all this kind of stuff so what lockdown has been really good at is like okay well how do you want to spend these empty days and you know I've been doing yoga in the morning not that I'm good at it I find it very stressful but it has actually helped me (laughs) Uh, I do this thing called daily dancing at 10 o'clock where it's just like a zoom call and there's like 50 people come and like somebody DJs every day and you just dance for three songs and yeah just trying to like chat to friends and stuff but I at the start I was really good at writing and then now I haven't actually written for about it's probably like five or six months and that's you know that weighs on a writer that makes you know that that feels like you're not you can't even like sometimes you're like can't watch or listen to poetry or anything because it just makes you remind you that you're not doing it Um, but yeah so like I really want to get back into that routine and try and write every day I've done a few different things online so I've like taught adults and I've taught um, young people on kind of zoom and then I've done like teaching a classroom of primary sevens over over google meets so they're all in their classroom and I'm at home it's it's really weird like so weird and it's really hard to Within that context of teaching primary schools, like while they're in class, like you really rely on the teacher. But actually, I think that that's actually quite good because sometimes when you're teaching in a school, the teacher isn't involved. And actually, you know, that it should be a collaboration. And the fact that it's now online and they have to kind of facilitate within the class, that really like is a really, it builds really strong relationships between the, um, between me and the teacher, which I quite like and um and I was really lucky because I had great teachers but I can imagine if you had teachers that weren't into it it would be a bit difficult Um, and we got the young people to write letters to older people in the community which was really nice um and yeah it was all about just like being really clear and getting having to repeat things all the time and and then within within kind of doing a zoom class where everyone's on an individual computer there's much more space to play and i'm really interested in how we use our digital world to inform our work so i did some um cool workshops that then i stole ideas from so like you know go on youtube and type in the last thing that you ate and then like go through the comments and get a comment and then that's your starting point and like how do we use our, like if we were in a room together and i told you to go into the room and try and find some text mm. now it's like you're on the internet so try and find some text there which i think is really interesting and and how we can use the the digital space to actually create new work rather than work against us i think it's quite interesting but yeah there's loads of difficult things like it's hard to like make sure that everyone's okay you can't put one aside and be like "Do you need help and all this kind of stuff so i think you do lose more people um, and people drop off um but you just have to just have to adapt and just try your hardest. And in lots of ways, it's more accessible, right? Because more people can come to things and get yeah, lots of barriers, but also lots of exciting things we can do with it as well.
0: I first met Layla when I asked her to do some workshops for a youth theatre organisation that I do work for. I asked Layla how she thinks young people are coping at this difficult time.
1: I was working before lockdown for Christmas in an alternative um, education school with young people that had at risk of being expelled from school so have like very complex needs and you know I really worry about them being in the house because I think the house can be a really stressful place for a lot of them and you know a lot of them don't like to learn and you know you're one teaching them in a room and actually that's really difficult never mind you know online so I think that that's that's really tough and especially people that are that are struggling with technology that you know don't have 4g or don't have wi-fi um, but also just in terms of like their mental health being in the same place like I know that they do a lot of gaming and and like just thinking about them doing gaming all day every day and Just stuff like that. Just it, it you know doesn't it doesn't upset me. It just like makes me worried, and and I don't, I can't predict what's going to happen, and that would be my my main kind of worry, with with them that group. And in terms of more generally, you know, like I think being social is like so important to young people, and I think that there is going to be a real gap with. Like you'll know yourself if you haven't seen anyone in for ages and then you see someone you you feel quite overwhelmed like socially overwhelmed so I can imagine if you're doing that through development ages that that'll that be quite a hard thing to understand and there's a lot of like chat about anxiety and all this kind of stuff so I do think we need to be careful not just just now but actually when we come out of it because I think there's going to be a lot of care that we're going to have to do and that what's that transition going to be like I think we need to think about that.
0: I'm going to take you now, dear listener, away from the breezy shores of Prestwick Beach to London's urban smoggy sprawl. The repeat beat poet has also been soaking up his surroundings.
2: I think it's more changed the way I look at the place that I am in. For for years, so I was originally born in Essex and then moved into London um, to study at uni, but I've never been more than like an hour and away, an hour and a half away from like my hometown anyway. And historically, it's kind of all part of the same area, Essex and East London. The borders have kind of changed across the past 400 years, but the actual landscape is the same. And I just spent so many years in London not feeling connected to that at all. You know, you feel like because of the way that, that rents are super high and um if you're if you're young it's very likely you'll be moving regularly like london dislocates you and and i've been trying to relocate myself by 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 learning about the actual like the physical geography of the place that i'm in and what that's the effect that's had on the people who have also lived there mm. across time um and so that, that that's definitely it's come out in a bit of my writing but more in I'll just look at my back garden and be looking at squirrels and like birds and like I can now differentiate a moorhen between a mallard duck you know like because there's canals and I'm regularly looking around that to see and to just get out of my own head a bit you know I'm really happy to have been doing that because it does make you know the isolation of being inside a bedroom it it makes it more more bearable. I think in the before times, pre pre Corona, um, while I was running around London, you know, like a busybody, feverishly jumping on trains an hour across London because everything takes an hour, I I definitely would never have stopped to look. I wouldn't have stopped to, you know, just to have that peaceful mind to have a look at what's actually going on around you. I would have just been head down, straight off to the the next gig. So I think that's how it's affected my writing. I've slowed down. Obviously, everybody has, and, you know, it's partially not out of choice, but it's what you do with the conditions that you're faced with, I think. And I think that's what I've tried to do, slow down a bit. It will come out in the writing eventually, though.
0: I first heard the repeat beat poet because he's a regular tweeter to Six Music. I often woke up listening to Lauren Laverne on Six Music before 2020, but over this last year, it's been a real lifeline to regularly wake up to have the same voices playing me absolute grade A bangers. I asked Repeat Beat Poet about his love for Six Music and broadcasting.
2: It, it cannot be overstated the importance of radio, not only to like my own personal life. It's been there for me when I've been lonely and I've not, I've not known what to do. But it's also been there for me when I've just wanted to chat and have a good time, which brings me back to Lauren Laverne. Right. I've been listening to Lauren Laverne for for over 10 years now. She had those live lounge albums that were all incredible covers that were chosen by artists when they come through. That was the mid-morning show on Radio One. Uh, then she moved around a bit. But I've always followed her writing. She was involved in... A- a online women's magazine called the pool when I was seeing Lauren do that as well I was like not only do I enjoy this presenter Mm. I enjoy her work as a presenter I enjoy her work as a DJ I enjoy her work as 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 like a cultural commentator and somewhat of a curator as well Mm. and so and so when people comment that yeah they're they're hearing my name pop pop up on six music I'm always like that's cool. I'm just listening to and tweeting in every now and then. Something that happened very early on during lockdown that I was very proud of is that um, Lauren does this thing on her show called the the People's Playlist, where she invites you to come onto the show for half an hour to share a list of songs that mean something to you. Um, and I, I think it was mid April, early April, maybe late March. I, I, I went on the Lauren, I went on Lauren Laverne show to do the People's Playlist, and my chosen subject if you will was spoken word I did the power of spoken word and that was like not only did I get a chance to play some of like my favorites I played um some Koji Radical I played Sophia the core but you know I could I went on the show and I spoke about these these mu like these pieces of music and poetry that mean something to me and I got to share that with the world. That's like that's huge. Not everybody gets that opportunity. And it means that eventually, uh, when I make my ploy to have a show on Six Music, uh-huh, <laughs> I can be like, "Look, I've already been on the show."
0: <laughs> Repeat beat Poets also tells me about how broadcasting can have a political impact on people listening and connecting.
2: That parasocial relationship—you know, you don't you don't physically know them, but you know them in in their work capacity and also in a public capacity because it's public radio specifically with the bbc as well which is a bit more because it has the charter and it has what it's meant to be doing when you have a shared interest with this presenter and they have to feign impartiality on a bunch of other stuff they can afford to you know be like very very appealing on the initial if you don't if you're not doing all of the criticism, Mark Kermode still manages to sneak in, you know, some 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 nice solid anti-fascist leaning where he just hates Trump and he and everyone knows he hates Trump, but they, they're not allowed to mention him by name on the show and things like that. I think the BBC does a weird job of having to toe that line, but when it's about an art form or mm. sport or something, you can never divorce sport and politics or music and politics or film and politics.
0: I've definitely been glued to my screen a lot more for too many hours this past year. Doom scrolling, soaking up injustices, starting arguments with people who are just the worst. But within that, I have managed to chat to people like Repeat Beat Poets over Twitter about a shared love for music. So it was great to actually properly talk to him over this conversation about the systems and structures of this world.
2: Um, I know we're both fans of the only band that matters, the clash, right? And the clash in 1977 was saying lines that valid information about the way in which specifically like the English capitalist ruling class, the way they operate. There's a line where Joe Strummer writes, if Adolf Hitler flew in today, they'd send a limousine anyway. Because it's about the the connections of 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 fascism, proper fascism. and we can just say this now because there's literal fascists storming the capital of America and there's fascists in the government, the police, the banking system, the property system, insurance system. there's fascists. They're everywhere. they're in your churches and and and, 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 and they're on the streets, right? So to be able to say that, we now need to act like that's really happening. There's still a bit of the cognitive dissonance. And in the UK specifically, one of the most pernicious aspects of the political classes' rule, and I do use that word rule because it evokes the idea of colonial divide and rule. One of the most pernicious things about the way they rule is uh, the policing of what is Acceptable, like politically possible. The idea of the Overton window and what can possibly happen here. Oh, it could never happen here is a typical British it a typical English thing. And so right now I'm in a place of like this is gonna keep on happening until the conditions are so that it forces, and I mean forces very very strange coalitions to fight an ever reducing sorry like a, an ever reducing number mm. of the people actually in power and their interests are not the interests of the country if you purport to be a nationalist or or or, 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 a, or a patriot mm. they're not the interests of the people if you purport to be in any way ethical or i don't know a uh, uh, christian or or, or or religious in a in an abrahamic religion like, or most humanistic religions, their interests are not that. Their interests are really simple, profit above all else. And you can see it in the, like, the most English thing that's happened across the the, the pandemic in terms of, you know, the political drama Mm. is the corruption, the cronyism, the way that they went, okay, we have a whole bunch of services that we need for a public health emergency. We need people to deliver the stuff. We need people to... Mm you know, like commission it, etc. And what they did is they made sure that there was no transparency, there was no accountability, and there was no responsibility. (laughs) They gave um, their mates and other people incredibly close to them whose interests they share, interests that align with, you know, the interests of, not to put it bluntly, but I think Bell Hooks called it the white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy. Other people call it the beast. Other people call it the system. Uh, Zach Della Roca called it the machine. They gave these contracts to people who shared their interests because they knew they would do something with it that benefited them. And so you have millions and millions of pounds being spent on PPE that does not work. You have the ways in which uh, the, uh, the contracts given out for public services are not open to public scrutiny and they're not open for public debate, despite them being public services. So this blurring of like private and public, and this is what the corporate sector has done really well in the UK remove public services you know whether it's uh 10 years of austerity or whether it's from from the 80s and thatcher and then you reinsert that provision but as a product and you sell that because hey look if you got cancer you're gonna need our services if you're you know if you're gonna want to take join the public park if we actually own that park and we can, you know, uh, we can charge a levy on the businesses that operate in there, if they're stores or et cetera, et cetera. So I'm kind of like, it's business as usual. What is going to change, though, what I do believe will change, they're cutting so deep now into like some really essential fabrics that they're going to hit bone. They're going to hit a point where people have no choice but to resist like um and, and, and resist in a meaningful way, which is building on the types of the types of essential connection that people have felt to put their energy into so uh, in the first lockdown around march april time um, there was the idea of mutual aid and mutual aid is like has been a central organizing concept of loads of socialist movements across the past 100 years just per se the black panther party were feeding kids that was their thing primarily that's how they did so much outreach and they had a newspaper and they had a political education-like campaign right there you have three central tenets of humanistic organizing education feeding children applying that education, like political education. You know what I mean? And I think that that's going to happen now because they've forced people to a point where everybody knows it's crap and everyone knows there's lies and deceit and no accountability and responsibility. And now people are looking for tools to be able to accurately criticise that and then to take action against it. And it's small, small things, small, small things. It will start hyper-local. It will start with people providing the services that their governments are not mutual aid and then it will develop from there
0: leila has also been feeling angry a tweet the week before we spoke hit thirty thousand likes i read it out for context but bear in mind it's in all caps lock people aren't dying because people have been bending the rules people are dying because shops were kept open schools didn't have a circuit break borders remain open businesses were not given enough grants and people weren't paid to stay at home
1: Yeah so I wrote a tweet about I was getting quite annoyed at the government for there was this kind of narrative in the media saying that you know we should be blaming each other and that it's people bending the rules and it's the public's fault and I just wrote a list of things in all caps which I think was the thing that made it so popular about all the things that I think should have been done. Um, to in order to prevent what's happening right now in terms of having to have another lockdown like things like a circuit breaker in October week and that the shops were kept open and all this kind of stuff and the borders and the airports um, and it just like kind of went like viral very very fast and what happens when things go viral is it no longer is about you actually it's about much more than you and you know much more people liked it and and retweeted on it and argued it, um but it's quite hard to see that and what was what I recognized in myself this time around because I've been I've gone viral before um for one of my poems I think she was a she that went really badly viral it was like all over it's about abortion it's all about right all over kind of right-wing Christian sites and like lots of death threats and all this kind of stuff and even though that was much more intense and I was much younger I was it was it was 2014 so a long time ago now but I recognize now that I was able to say oh this isn't about me whatever is happening isn't about me this is other people's thing and being able to like put down the phone and not be checking all the time and that was like progress for me and and one thing that I have been really looking at this year more than anything else as a poet and as a writer is you know this idea of public and private and like what we decide to share and what we decide to keep to ourselves and as someone that has constantly put out things that people deem as private as public I have been really um exploring that and wondering why I've been doing it. And I and I do think it's this idea of validation and being seen. And really the the reason that I haven't written so long is because I'm I'm trying to work out what I want to write because I don't want to write that validation stuff anymore. I don't want to use trauma as currency. Like last year I did a show at the fringe, no not last year, the year before now, (laughs) um, about my dad and his death and my mum narrated it. I realized that I was trying to like put all this out so I could get some validation about it and I think that that's really dangerous and what I'm wondering now is how do we get validation within our own space and our own lives and where do you get validation from and and I think that that's a really interesting question for a poet to ask like as you said before are you writing for product are you writing for process and that's something that i've really been exploring and that tweet was a really good example of that it's like oh i've put this out does it reflect on me it actually give me any validation it it speaks louder to what's actually happening in the world and that was that was quite interesting for me too but it is it's like quite a weird weird. You're like of all the things I've posted, of all the videos I want people to see, of all the things I want people to write, this tweet has somehow gone viral. And then afterwards, I wrote a much more like I love each other, look after your neighbours, and like obviously got like 13 likes. I was like, oh for fuck's sake, it's not about it's not about my opinion. Nobody cares who wrote it. It's about the conversation that happens throughout it. So, um, I think that that's a good lesson to learn.
0: But was that second tweet caps lock?
1: No, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't. So go. maybe maybe I just need to start writing everything in caps locks. Maybe all my poetry should be in caps locks as well.
0: I've been really struggling to articulate my rage. Check out my chat with Sahima Manzo Khan and Lizette Alton for more on the subject. Sharing a rage over a screen it lacks something and fizzles out over time when the laptop shuts. I make a point to repeat, beat poet that at least in an open mic pub I might be able to convince some stranger. But the situation has tightened us to our own corners. When people are attending Zooms, it's probably because they found the link just within their own existing networks.
2: So my response is through the example of um, of, of of at least two poets, and I'll just pick two. There's been a couple poet laureates across the country in new roles that haven't been created uh, before. Um, or haven't been used in this way before. I'm talking about uh, uh, Vanessa Kasule down in Bristol. I'm talking about uh, Otis Mensah in Sheffield. The thing that these poets are doing as representatives, voices, and in some ways, maybe not thought leaders, but they're definitely forcing conversations about their cities, about the histories, the presence and the futures of these places, right? on the large scale, on the kind of macro, that is a fundamental thing that every poet and every artist, you can have the courage of your convictions and the integrity of your words. To put yourself into a poem, to really like actually invest something into a poem is risky, especially now. When Vanessa Casule wrote the poem Hollow after the statue of the slave trader and financier Edward Colston, was um was was torn down in bristol she wrote a poem within a couple of days that summarized or at least placed the thoughts of the community of bristol who've been asking for that statue to be taken down who understand so many of them the legacies of slavery and colonialism not only because it is their personal family history because it's the history of their city it's in the names and the streets but the poem holds a truth in it about the way that the statue was seen and is seen and and the truth of the statue and so on the external that's what poets can do you don't have to be um you know a city poet laureate to do that as well you can do that to whichever audience you're in front of even if it's digital and you can also reach out doing that you can reach farther than damn wrong look i'm on the left guilty i i i know my audience (laughs) um and a lot of my audience do tend to share the same broad political views as me i also know that there's stuff that there's common ground that must must exist between us and i'm gonna say tory voters and people on the right you'd think that nobody wants to really starve kids Mm. you'd think that but we have to be forcing these issues we have to ask that question and then secondly the internal thing it's about investing and interrogating into yourself like the joy of of creativity and and for me poetry is that it doesn't matter if I'm putting it out or not. It doesn't matter like you know in the moment of creation, it doesn't matter if I'm putting it out. If I'm, it doesn't matter where it's going to go. It matters in that moment for me. for For me, I use poetry as a way to figure out how I think about emotions or or, or trying to work my way through the world or or, or me bearing witness to to what I am and how I feel and what I'd like to be, or the entirety of my experience, channeled through a song or a moment or a poem, that's a brave thing to do.
0: I've been really grateful that I've had time to explore different parts of York, but I am missing exploring different parts of the country and the rest of the world. I'm angry that my world feels tightened to just four walls with a few local roots. And as much as the world lies at the top of a keyboard, there's so few words I can put out there to shake it. At least poets are stewing and writing and connecting and supporting people and building communities and speaking truth to power against a system and trying to work towards a greater good. This is the good stuff. Thank you very much for listening. Layla is laylajosephine.co.uk. And she tweets at laylajosephine1. You can find Repeat Beat Poet on Twitter at repeatbeatpoet. I've been Henry Raby, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook. Please check out the other sound out but stay in tapes, music supplied by Druligan. Thank you very much, folks. Bye!